0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Author Conversations presented by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press. I'm Jonathan Foster and today I'm going to be joined by the author of Florida's historic African-American homes, Jada Wright Green. The state of Florida has a rich history of African-Americans who have contributed to the advancement and growth of the Florida that we know today. From slaves to millionaires, African-Americans from all walks of life have resided in cabins, homes, and stately mansions lives of millionaires, educators, businessmen, community leaders, and innovators of Florida's history are explored in each residence. Mary McLeod Bethune, A.L. Lewis, and D.A. Dorsey are a few of the prominent African Americans who not only resided in the state of Florida, but also created opportunities for other blacks to further their lives in education and ownership of property and to have a better quality of life. One of the most humanistic traits found in history is the home of someone who has added something of value to society. Today, some of these residences serve as house museums, community art galleries, cultural institutions, and monuments that interpret and share the legacy of their owners. Jada, thanks for joining me.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited.
0: Yeah, me too. Very excited. So preservation of historic sites and homes is something that's important to me too, uh, having worked in and continuing to volunteer at various historic sites and museums, because there's something tactile. And there's a connection that helps to bring history to life at a physical place like that. And you're the founder and president of the Heritage Salon. So first, tell me what got you into history. And then tell me about the Heritage Salon, if you would.
1: Sure. Um, I was introduced to history by my mother and my grandmother. My mother loved to travel. And we would go across the country um, to the Caribbean. That was her favorite. And every time we went somewhere, she insisted on a city tour. And so I would learn all about these different cities and their history. And then my grandmother was what, I guess you would say the first historian I met. She at the local church um, that I grew up in, she put together the entire history of the church and made what we would call today an exhibition. And I remember being 12 and helping her take little pieces of pictures and papers on the wall because they were celebrating a church anniversary so they really introduced me to history and showed me um, so much about um, black history and learning about our history who we are as a people and also just general history Um, my mom loved um, British things, I was interested in British shows with her. And also, um, the British Royal family was another thing me and my mom talked about and everything a lot, but, um, black history was definitely one of her favorites and one of my favorites. So history was kind of, you know, in me from my mom and my grandmother. And I was introduced to museums in 2003 after leaving law school and venturing over to Michigan state university. I started the urban and regional planning master's program, kind of fell into Lane's management that took me over to historical preservation, like preservation of sites and homes and, mm-hmm. you know, land and all those things like you spoke about. And of course that led into, because a lot of historical houses are museums.
0: Yeah, That
1: led me being introduced to museums and found out that there were not a lot of African-Americans in the museum field and wanted to more. Um, a less exposed more African-American museums and historical sites that people just didn't talk about as much. You always have people talk about the Smithsonian and all these great museums, but there are also a lot of small to medium-sized museums and historical sites and homes that people just don't talk about as much. And so I decided to start a blog, which transitioned to a magazine some years later, um, called Heritage to Salon. And it's an electronic magazine that focuses on African-American historical homes, sites, um, all those things that people usually don't talk about. And I do talk about larger institutions. However, my focus has always been, you know, those smaller sites and museums that don't always get all the PR and the publicity. Yeah. And
0: is there a website where people can find it? Is it just HeritageSalon.com or org? Yes,
1: it is HeritageSalon.org. Um, and there you'll see all the articles I've written um, about different sites. I also have different museum professionals come and talk and give their thoughts about different things. So um, yes, it's heritage org.
0: All right. Excellent. And it sounds like, you know, you and me have the same, you know, we, we've, we've talked before and we already know that we have the same love for Oreos. We've talked about that recently. I think last week. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> Um, but you know, it sounds like we also had that same background growing up because whenever we go somewhere as a family, we would do something history focused and related and, you know, and I grew up around uh, antiques in the antique, you know, business with dad. So you're going to be around history, learning, you know, the stories about, you know, what this weird piece of, you know furniture is that doesn't look like anything else you know Mm -hmm. and then you know what what Mm -hmm. does this do and that just kind of leads you down like a historical story and you kind of just start to imagine you know what 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 people would be doing with these things who was around Mm -hmm. you know this kind of thing and history really does capture your imagination and it's you know i think it kind of is sad too that you know a lot of people see it just as like facts and numbers they had to and dates they just had to memorize back in school when it's so much more than that um right Right. That's why it's so exciting, especially if you see young kids who go to a site and they get to be around, you know, if they, especially mm-hmm. if the site has really good education outreach mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with a lot of good education mm-hmm. programs, it really reaches out to them and they really get to see, you know, um, history is so much more as a story, it's a narrative, it's something that it's, even though it's from the past, it still breathes, it still mm-hmm. has a life to it and it doesn't yeah. really go away as long as we keep it alive yes. and tell you know the inaccurate yes. representation of the story um to you know because history has a way too of getting away from us because we can make it the tale we want it to have instead of mm-hmm. what the actual representation mm-hmm. of it is and mm-hmm. so it's uh you know it, it it it's really neat to have that and also there's parts you know at sites too you know they get left behind and you've done a great job in this book of making sure that doesn't happen because you you cover so much in the book and you know one part i want place i want to start off with because i live in south carolina i live in charleston okay you know i have family history going back in south carolina too but uh miss mm-hmm. mary cloud bethune is in the, your book and she was yes. born in south carolina to parents who were born into yes. slavery so can you tell us a bit about her story and what we can learn about her
1: home in the book
0: and her life
1: in the book yes yes, yes. so um, dr mary mccloud Bethune found it, um, Bethune-Cookman, um, it was college when I attended Banowski University in Daytona Beach, Florida. Mm-hmm. And so the story goes, of course, as you say there, she was, um, her parents were slaves, and she was the 15th of 17 children, and they thought she would be great to, you know, go on and become a, you know, study missionary to education was really pushed for her. And so, um, she was a teacher, and she arrived in Daytona Beach, went to the city dump, had five little girls, a dollar and fifty cents in faith in God, and started a school, um, which eventually transitioned, of course, into a college after it merged with um, the Cookman Institute in Jacksonville, Florida. Not only did she found the college, um, she also was a humanitarian, she was a civil rights activist, she was a um, Women's rights. She started several organizations. She was a phenomenal fundraiser, raising money that from grassroots all the way to millionaires, something unheard of. She was just this woman that was way before her time. I had the honor and privilege of working actually in the home, the home that is on the cover of the book. Mm. There's a photo, of course, of Dr. Bethune in, in the home. And I had the opportunity to actually work in the home. And when I say work, for me, it wasn't work. (laughs) It felt like absolutely, yeah. Just it felt just like I, I first encountered the home on a book, on not a book, but a college tour, and I just knew I wanted to work there. So I was about sixteen when I first walked in the home, and then at the age of, you know, I was seventeen actually when I got to college, my first year. First week of school, I walked over and said, hey, I want to work in this house. And they said, okay. And so I literally became an intern. I didn't get paid. And for two and a half, almost three years, I literally just gave tours and just spent so much time there. And so I fell in love with Dr. Bethune, her things, the house, the history. It just, it opened my eyes and I didn't realize the seeds that were being planted at that point for me to take, you know, this life into studying historical homes and museums and historical sites, and so, Dr. Bethune just embodied, you know, the faith in God. Um, the endurance, the determination, all the things that I was implanted in me and I really wanted to, you know, do. And so it was that house that's on the cover that really inspired me to take this career. And now I feel such honor and privilege to be able to give back to Dr. Bethune and the house that started off for them to be on the cover of the book. It's just, it's remarkable.
0: Yeah. You know, it's so cool because I was, you know, I was kind of reading about her and she, you talk about faith and she seemed like, you know, she, she knew like God would make a way, but you got to be willing to Mm -hmm. walk down that road too. And Mm -hmm. it's not going to always be easy, but you got to be willing to go down it
1: and absolutely yeah. and be bold that was yeah. something about dr but no she was bold she and didn't have a problem with doing things from a small scale or a large scale i mean she would do the grassroots approach of selling sweet potato pies and mm. then she also would go to the Rockefellers and ask them for money you yeah. know? and so that's a lot of boldness and audacity to say, you know, hey, this billionaire in this time, saying you're thinking it's not 2021. You know, this is a time when, you know, wealthy white people came down to Florida to vacation, and the fact that they encountered this black woman to ask them for money for her school, and they gave it to her without hesitation. Yeah. <laughs> That's the great part.
0: She, all they can do is say no, right you don't know until you ask and it's amazing and then also you know what you said too about being in a house and wanting to work in a house people don't understand because when i worked i worked at drayton hall for a while and i've also you know worked and volunteered at the powder magazine here in town which is south carolina's oldest public building um Mm -hmm. you people you know they see you working there and they think and they'll say things to you like oh you must really enjoy working here oh it must be neat to work here well it is more than that, because if it's a time period you're interested in, because I like colonial mm-hmm. history, Revolutionary War history, mm-hmm. it's more than that because, you know, you have time because there was a room in Drayton Hall that we believe that British General Cornwallis used as his office when he was mm-hmm. when he had his headquarters at Drayton Hall. Mm-hmm. And so I would go in that room by myself sometimes because we were able to do mm-hmm. that. And I would just think, mm-hmm. you know, what decisions did he make in this room? right you know
1: and you know what else these these homes do and that's that's part of the reason why I want to talk the book it it opens your eyes to the humanistic side of people mm-hmm. that's why I love when people take their homes and make them available as museums because yes. you look at someone who's larger than life but Thomas was larger than life in a lot of ways the fact that you can walk into our house and see her shoes and her dress and her cane. Like it it makes you see people in a different light. And so I love it when celebrities or people will say, hey, I'm gonna open up, you know, that childhood home that I lived in. It gives you that perspective of looking at them and it gives you a connection, you know, because sometimes people can put, you know, celebrities and well known people on a pedestal and don't, they're just like us. Yeah. So to know their story and their history, it gives you a connection to them, and and that's what I love about historical homes more than anything.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, I remember like you know even you know because there's only one royal palace in the United States, and that's in Hawaii, mm-hmm. and Honolulu. Yeah, you know, and, and touring that, and you see that there's you know the royal bathroom, you're like, okay, yeah, you know you forget, you know, yeah. royalty needs the restroom too. So yes,
1: they do. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's crazy when you, it, yeah. you, you kind of forget sometimes, uh, mm-hmm. you get all wrapped up in it. Cause you're, you know, you're walking up to this home. They, if you go to, um, tour the palace, you have to put, um, these special booties over your shoes mm-hmm. and then, Hey, there's the, there's the toilet. <laughs> so uh, it's you know, right. it's
1: neat. Yeah. You know, I think it is neat. It's so neat.
0: So, uh, there is this great photo. And I know I'm jumping around a little bit on, in in the, in the, Pages of the book of Afro-Cuban men. It says in Ybor City in 1885. And you know, if you didn't tell me where it was, I would have thought that this was a photo from the Wild West. And it, <laughs> it, and it made me remember that Florida, even after the Civil War, for a while, it was kind of the frontier too. um Because you know, you, yeah. ta- you start to talk about like billionaires coming down, and that's when they start running that. You know, with you know, with um the University uh Flagler. You know, when they start running that railroad down the coast of Florida. Um, that's when it kind of starts opening up further south in the Florida, but it's still kind of a frontier in that area. Um, now, I don't know if you meant to capture that or not with images in the book, but you did. And there's other like little shots of towns and stuff too. And it really, you know, captured that idea because there were cowboys in Florida um, too
1: at the yes. time. Yeah. Yes. You know, I really, I really wanted to be able to capture, home, uh, capture the story of homes of people, that people really were well-known. But as I started to research more, I found I was all these homes and I have a mentor, her name is Dr. Tara White. And I said, oh my gosh, I found all these great pictures, it's, but it's not telling the whole story. And she said, Jaden, you've got to tell the story of these houses of not just well-known people, but everybody, because there are yeah. stories. I was like, oh gosh, you're making sense. So I started finding these different neighborhoods throughout Florida that of course was segregated. African black neighborhoods that were, I mean, they were very bustling businesses, barbershops, beauty salons, stores. These people had everything right yeah. in their community because they were forced to do that. And and I, you know, doing more research, I found out even the entertainment there were. Celebrities, musicians, jazz musicians, everyone coming to these communities, performing, staying there. And so they all had these communities. They did everything in that area, which is, of course, different now. We tend to drive out to Target or wherever from our, our communities. But they did everything. And these houses were not, you know, mansions. You know, some of these were almost, you know, like public housing. I mean, in some research I found, they literally called them the slums because they weren't. But I will tell you what. One of my favorite pictures in the book is a woman in my in the Miami, the chapter about you know South Florida, Miami. Mm-hmm. There's a woman that is washing clothes on her back porch, and it's a small house. It was not a you know a great big house or a great big big neighborhood. It's something about them taking the pride in their homes. Yeah, and they even the porches. You would see that they had plants and flowers. It was like their own little piece of heaven. And so it made me realize this is a part of our history. It tells the story of everything, of everyone. It's not just the well-known Dr. Mary McClough Bethune and A.L. Lewis and all these millionaires in Florida, but also the other people. And a lot of times, those people that lived in those areas, they were working for some of the millionaires. And they were eventually coming out of those areas and moving into nicer homes because those millionaires were making opportunities for them in Mm -hmm. order to have a better life
0: yeah we're going to talk about them in a second but you're absolutely right you you take pride in what you have um it's that principle of being a good steward um it's a it's a biblical principle that you know my grandparents you know told me about uh Mm -hmm. you come up you you take pride in what you have you know Mm -hmm. you'll be given more but it's not really you know just given more it's you're working Mm -hmm. Um, right to to have what you have, but, I mean, you might not ever have more. I know my great grandmother; she had a house, one bedroom mm-hmm. house with one or two bedroom house, but it was so you know so tiny, to- so small mm-hmm. she lived in her whole life. But she, it took meticulous care of that house, and it was might as well have been a palace she was living in. Mm-hmm. And she was mm-hmm. a you know she grew, she was a mill worker when she worked in Griffin, Georgia. Um, mm-hmm. I know exactly it's that, that feeling of you have pride in what you have, what you, what mm-hmm. you worked for. And mm-hmm. I, I'm looking for that picture in the book right now, um, to look for, but there seems to be more than one. I mean, there's pictures in, of, you know, people on front porches of houses, like you've described, you know, there's families uh, of pictures, you know, yeah. in this book in front of houses like this too. The whole family's taken pride in their property. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah it's in the Miami chapter I think it's chapter 7 and it's the Overtown neighborhood so
0: while you have pages of that and you, you have the, the people who are working for the millionaires let's talk about the millionaires because you've also talked about a little bit about how they're making a way for people to move up in yeah. the world so let's yeah. talk about some uh, let's talk about Dorsey's and Stirrups, what role are are, are uh, men like they were playing as the railroads move further south and more cities and resort sites begin to rise up?
1: So Dorsey um, was one of the millionaires. I think it's been recorded as one of the first millionaires in Florida. Um, he was a prominent businessman, and he was able to help organize one of the first black banks. He had a real estate empire um, and was really, you know, really interested in helping grow the area and also help the people um, by, you know, giving them opportunities and jobs. Another remarkable man who I absolutely love his story. And one of my, probably my favorite photos in the book is is around is his home in, um is A.L. Lewis. And he was um, one of the first black millionaires as well in Jacksonville. He started the Afro Life Insurance Company. He owned property. He also employed several African-Americans throughout that time and also started American Beach, which is where African-Americans went to relax and rejoice because they weren't able to go to other beaches. And that's something that you see that not only A.L. Lewis does, but also Mrs. Bethune, she started Bethune Beach. And other people throughout Florida contributed to their efforts in starting these beaches. Also Frank Butler, Butler Beach over in, outside of St. Augustine. They all were wealthy business people, women and men, who not only, you know, make money for themselves, but also created jobs and opportunities for people to work in order for them to enjoy life and have property and also, you know, develop these beaches where, I mean, who doesn't want to go relax and go to the beach. So it, it was remarkable to me to see how these people were not selfish. They were not selfish people. They wanted to spread, you know, the wealth and spread opportunities and not just say, here, I'll give you a dollar as a handout. No, I'm going to give you a job and opportunity so that you can grow your own slice of heaven here.
0: Man, that's great. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. So I got a couple more questions before we go. And, um, kind of want to go to something that was sad because it was a striking sad set of photographs because one is a family that's together, and then another one is a a house that's been damaged. This is on page 66, and it involves the story of the Moore family and what happened on Christmas Eve 1951. Um, Can you tell us a bit about the Moores?
1: Yes, they were educators, and they lived in Mills, Florida. Um, and they were activists and also advocates, um, you know, in the area and um, unfortunately on Christmas night, Christmas night, like you said, in 1951, there was a bombing um, and, and and the husband, um, Harry, he initially died, you know, in the blast and then later on his wife, Harrietta, she died later. Um, and I was really excited I haven't personally been to the site. Of course, the pandemic happened, and we weren't able to get down there. But I, I was able to speak to the woman that runs the site now, and they've what they've done is they've recreated the house. They've taken mm-hmm. photos and different things, and they've reconstructed a, a, you know, like a replica of what the house looked like. Okay. And so now you can go to this site. Um, it's the Harriet, you know, Harrietta, Harrietta Moore. Um, T site, and you can actually go to the site and see the house and different exhibitions and different things. And so it's just a great way for you to learn more about the family um, and more about their story, you know, as them being, you know, activists and leaders in the early part of the civil rights movement.
0: Mm-hmm. And the interpretation, I'm sure, I mean, the, the dangerous time too to do that. Yes. You know, and they did it with yes. a young family too it's
1: Yes, yes, yes. It's just, it's, you know, people sacrifice so much during this time, mm-hmm. and for them to, you know, go through their this tragedy or whatever, I think is honorable that we have this, you know, this site that is dedicated to them and their life and what they did.
0: So, let's go from that to a little bit of, a, of an interesting note because I'm going to end on a, a little bit of a nerd thing for me, if that's okay. okay. <laughs> because there was a, one of the first things in the book, I think the first book or the first house rather in the book. And also kind of ended up being my favorite house. Cause this is from a cool time period. You can tell it's put together, you know, the way it's put together, all Morris and tenon looking, um, uh-huh. the Julie cottage. Uh, yes. Really, really like it. I really want to come see it. I want to, you know, yeah. take a look at all of its skeleton and all that kind of thing. Um, uh-huh. Because I love that kind of you know construction and that kind of era um, can you tell us of it? do we know much about the owner of the cottage and uh anything anything uh else about it you can tell me about it just from like my personal standpoint
1: sure. it so, so neat. it does it does you know I did not you know what I told you I started doing research. Mm-hmm. I've been doing research about historical homes since 2003 and then got really more detailed than in the past couple of years. Well, when I you know, started everything with publishing a book, I didn't even know about this home. I was just doing some research about you know, North Florida, Pensacola, and literally ran across it. And so, it's in, it, of course, it's in the Pensacola area um, and it was built around 1805. Um, Julie, college it was named after a free woman of color Julie um, Payton and so they constructed the house it kind of reminds you of this French quarter kind of um, creole cottage um and that's kind of how it was built you know that is you know kind of inspiration but it's kind of if you look at it and it's built almost like a saltbox yeah. <laughs> shape it doesn't have a front a front porch. Um, or front door Would you think it, it would be. You know? Yes, yes, yes. But it is like one of the only surviving form of like urban Creole, um agriculture in Pensacola. And so it, it kind of gives you this sense of, you know, what um, this woman did. She was the first one to own um, a free woman of color to own, you know, this home. And so, it gives you an opportunity to kind of get an understanding and a grasp of how she was living. And I think you can go inside and see, I mean, it's like one room um, to see, you know, how she lived. But I think it's remarkable that she was a free woman of color and mm. owned this house. Yeah, And that's why I had to put it first. I was like, this has, <laughs> the book has to open with this, this one.
0: Yeah. I saw it. I was like, I gotta get down there. And I gotta see this house because it was uh, like I, I said, I love this kind it's, of, those kind of building.
1: Yes. And I I tell people, it's one of the last things I talk about in the intro is, you know, I encourage people to go to Florida or even wherever state you are and just research your historical sites and homes, you know, Mm -hmm. because these are places that literally tell stories and help shape history and help tell the story of history. And so I cannot wait to get back to Florida because I told my husband, I think we're going to have to do like a tour and just go to all these different places.
0: Yeah, I mean, you do that, you can always take a picture of you where you're at, you know, and throw it up on yes. Instagram and Twitter and yes. all. So, yes. well, one more question. Do you have any favorite houses?
1: Oh, that's so hard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I knew it would be. That's what I had to ask.
1: It's so, so hard. Okay, so, of course, Dr. Bethune's home is my favorite because that is how I got introduced to everything and it's still standing on the campus of Boone Cookman. Now I can't say that I don't have a couple of, it's so many it's so many stories.
0: <laughs> I'll but let you off the hook if you want.
1: Okay, okay, okay. But it's, <laughs> it's there are a couple that I just one I fell in love with as a, as a little girl. It's in Jacksonville. It's one it's a house that's actually owned of the sorority that I'm in called Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. And they purchased it. It used to be the home of a bishop. Um, oh. And it's, it's in Jacksonville. It's in the Sugar Hill neighborhood. And it was built by him and his wife in 1939. Um And they... The house is still there. And I used to see it as a little girl, drive by it, and always wanted to go inside and always wanted to be an AKA. And I became an AKA and then when I got ready to, you know, work on the book, I was like, I have to find a picture of this book. Well, it was so hard to find a good photo of this of this house. And so I found one and I'm just thrilled. So that is probably one of my their favorite. The other favorite one that I have to mention is is A.L. Lewis's vacation home in American Beach. He had a house built right on the ocean front, you know, on the beach that he started and it is so wonderful. It's on page 36. It's like the last house in um, the second chapter. but he built his home. He had a house in Jacksonville and one also on American Beach, and I just love it, and the photo shows these kids in the front of the house playing, and you know, you can see these wonderful shades and everything on the front of the house, so those two are probably my other two favorite. It's like a classic beach house. Yes, it is, it is, and I love the beach, so it really just, (laughs) did something for me, but I would say those two are my favorite, but there's so many of them that I just fell in love with, but I have to say, I can't, I can't not say that the Bethlehem's house is my absolute favorite out of all of them.
0: Yeah, I don't blame you at all on that one. All right, well, I yeah. think I've kept you our our time about 30 minutes. Thank you so much for being on. <laughs>
1: thank you so much I appreciate
0: it thank you the audience for listening Florida's Historic African American Homes is available now for pre-order on ArcadiaPublishing.com and will be available wherever local books are sold beginning on May 3rd if you have any questions or suggestions for an upcoming episode feel free to reach out to me at Conversations at gmail.com that address again is Conversations at gmail.com As always, thanks to Jay and Bill's Unnamed Band Project for the show's theme song, and I'll talk with you again soon.